So thanks very much for taking the time to chat. Um, you had some issues or questions around the concept of uh, grandiosity, so I'll let you do the, the intro speech and we'll see if we can make some sense of it. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I've spent most of my life with a very uh, strong sense of superiority and um, sort of active disdain for everybody around me. And I think that it was uh, cultivated in me in, in childhood. <laughs> um, it's kind of, it, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about because it's kind of embarrassing and it's an easy way to get people to get pissed off at you, I guess. But I mean, it comes out in other ways, and I, I don't know. It's it's it seemed it, it's it hasn't been as strong in me as it used to be. But um, it's it's still kind it still kind of bothers me. Uh, I, I I I was uh, journaling pretty uh, consistently uh, for a few weeks up up until the end of March. And then I just came up on something that just really, really uh, horrified me about myself. And I just, I, I had to put it aside for a couple weeks. Um, just because it, it, was, it, was, it was so frightening. Um, just a, a lot of anger um, that seemed to be something that I didn't really have a lot of control over. Um, I feel like I'm trailing off into space right, right here. So sure, no if problem, you, if no you could ask me a question. Absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit about your cultural or religious background? Uh, sure. Um, my dad, I guess was sort of a, a lapsed Catholic. Um, he stopped going to church probably when he was a young adult, probably when he left the house. But uh, he read the Bible every day. And um, although when, when I was very young, I didn't, I didn't go to uh, church daycare or anything. But um, we, we, we moved to Switzerland when I was five. And we spent a lot of time together, um, me and my dad. My, my mother was, was, I don't know, doing other things a lot or something. But how, how he would uh, inculcate religion to me is we would, uh, he would talk about Bible stories to me uh, at great length. Um, So I guess that, that was really my main sort of religious instruction, although later I guess I started going to an Episcopalian church for a few years till I guess uh, I, I got a little older, probably around 9 or 10, uh, just, um, I just couldn't keep up uh, this sort of, uh, I, I guess a, a, lot, a lot of my... Uh, Faith at the time was motivated by was was really just fear, 
and I just, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't keep that up. I couldn't keep being afraid of, uh, afraid of that. And I just, uh, couldn't maintain, uh, this sort of belief. And I felt a lot better after, uh, dropping it. But I mean, it, it was kind of hard. Oh, sure. Now I understand that. And you said that your, your mother kind of drifted through the conversation like a ghost, right? Because you said your mother... Okay, uh, my, my mom's incredibly screwed up. Um, yeah. I, I'm not really sure where to start with her. Um, well, let's... Uh, I'll, she... I'll a couple of the basics. Uh, your parents, are they still together? No, they're divorced. And when did they divorce? They... How, old, sorry, how old were you when they divorced? I was I was 15. And what was the, uh, but they, the reason for the divorce, at least as it was communicated to you at the time? Um, uh, it was communicated to me in a lot of ways. And I picked up on, on some of the reasons and repressed some of them. And um, then there were other reasons that were put forth. These, they had these conflicting stories. They both had different different reasons for it. Dad, dad claimed that, you know, my mom had been screwing everything with two legs. And I know my dad had been, uh, had an affair with a secretary and also the woman that he's married to now. Um, but I mean, also, I mean, my, my dad just abused the hell out of both, uh, out of the whole family. So, uh, that I guess was 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 sort of the major cause, but Mom put up with that forever. So, um, uh, the, you know, the the real reason why 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 she divorced him uh, is absolutely because uh, his career started getting screwed up, and I think she figured it was either now or never if she was going to get out with any money. So I think that's what, why she why she did it. I don't think it had anything at all to do with. Uh, how we were treated, how she was treated at all. I think, I think it was just totally money. So you mean that she was, um, she was willing to put up with infidelity in return for a comfortable or monetary lifestyle? Oh, yeah. I think so. I, I, I think I she's willing to put up with any sort of hard... I, I, think she, I think she's comfortable with being abused. I don't think she likes it any other way, really. Right, but... Um, so, so for your mom, it was like... Infidelity plus money is good, or at least tolerable, but infidelity without money or with a threat towards money is not. Yeah. Is that right? Well, yeah, and, and, and I mean, it wasn't like, it was just a little, a little bit of money. I mean, my dad was fantastically wealthy. Uh, Sorry, your dad was? I just want to, your dad was fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in 1999, uh, he would brag to me that he was making 20... Whoa, he's making $20,000 a day in uh, cash and options for uh, the company he was working for. Well, I mean, not working for, but running in part. Right, okay. Okay, so um, he was a real high flyer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just a little bit. And, I mean, uh, sorry, just by the by, it is, it is a truism, of course, of life that everybody accepts, but few people believe. Like, they accept it intellectually, but they don't believe it in their heart that money doesn't buy you happiness. Oh yeah, it's it's funny, right? Because uh, I mean, he, he he has you know an American Express black card, which means that one of these years he spent more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a single year, and yet I mean 
right now he's deeply in debt and whatever, and it just buys, it just gets you nothing. It's, it's just kind of weird how he, how how he just made all this money just to lose every dime, almost. And would you say, without going into details, would you say that the method by which he earned his money was just or unjust? And by that, I don't mean criminal. Oh, like oh, unjust, absolutely. Uh, let's let's see. I mean, when 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 he was when he was working for. Uh, for Goldman Sachs, uh, he did that for about ten years. I, I think that uh, he's probably more ethical. I don't know. It's really hard to tell. But I mean, I think I think the constraints that he was in kind of kept him under control because I mean, there were there were there were punishments for for I don't know uh, breaking the law and stuff like that. I mean, they they take that kind of kind of thing seriously. Uh, to a certain extent, not not as much as maybe many people would think, but to a certain to to a certain extent. But when he was at this this other place, I mean, he he did he did make it after they forced him to resign. Of course, oh yeah, I I was the whistleblower. I knew what they were doing and all this stuff. But of course, I mean, he he happily took the millions when they were defrauding uh, their institutional clients uh, and doing just. Massive insider trading. Yeah, basically. I mean, my, my I mean, that's, that's 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 how the company made its bones. Is they is they uh, the, all every single trader on the floor was trading ahead of the 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 moves from the big clients. Right, right. I mean, this is a gross generalization, but you know, most most brokers and I worked at uh, a brokerage company as a programmer. A bunch of lying scumwads, frankly. I mean, it's a really really filthy way to make a living. Well, yeah, and I mean it's it's funny because you know he said you know oh I'm in the technology side of the business or whatever and he he, he made himself out to be this big technology guy, you know, uh, but he did he he doesn't even know how to type. Can I just uh, ask you? I don't know if it's you or somebody else, but there's a fair amount of background crackling. Are you moving your microphone at all or moving around? Oh yeah, sorry, I'm just sort of. Yeah, if you could just sleeves. find a place for it and leave it there. That'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no problem. Um, so, so he was a, I mean, a high-flying guy. Do you know if he went through, um, because this is not uncommon in these kinds of people, that, did he go through mood swings so there'd be an up and then a crash? <laughs> um, sorry? Let me know. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so, yes, very, yes. <laughs> I just find it funny because I mean that's that's like who he was. Yeah, I mean, right? I'm sure, he would go through so, these manic episodes followed by these depressive episodes. Yeah, people would just ride out the storms, right, as as best they could. Oh uh, yeah, like uh, like yesterday in the in the Colin show, um, where his his father would you know throw stuff around. That's that's what my dad would do sometimes. Uh, he'd come back from a business trip on Friday. And um, he he would often be gone for the weekdays uh, for for a lot of my childhood, I guess. I mean, that was just wonderful when he was gone. Just wonderful. Oh. Well, although I mean, my mother was sort of like a like a living blob or something, just just there to or like a plant, just there to photosynthesize from PBS on a couch. You know, it's just bizarre. Uh, he he would um he'd come back on Friday and he'd be pissed off as hell. And of course, my mom would just accumulate all these catalogs and stuff, and they just pile up high on the 
on the kitchen table and she'd throw her clothes on the floor and in her closet. So he'd, and, and he'd, he'd come home and he'd get, he'd get really mad. And then he'd just like throw all the papers and stuff on the floor. He'd go into the refrigerator for no reason and throw out all the food under the floor, you know, breaking glass and stuff. And then he'd, uh, go into my room, get pissed off and throw all my stuff on the floor. And he'd go into my mom's room with her closet. This closet was, was like his obsession because she'd always leave it messy. And I don't know. It just seemed like this, this, this closet was his nemesis. So he used a form of um, material perfectionism as his bullying weapon of choice. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Nothing was ever clean enough. You know, he'd have a sweep and stuff uh, after, after meals and, and stuff. And, you know, you'd do it for an hour. We'd, we'd have to clean for like an hour or so after every, after, after, after every meal. And, you know, if there's a single crumb anywhere on the floor, any like a speck of dust, you know, it's, you're, 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 you're a piece of crap for not paying it. Well, in, in harsher language than that, you know, you're, you're, you're the most worthless human being imaginable for missing a, a speck somewhere. Right. So you know? there's, there's, I mean, again, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm no clinician, right? So this is just nonsense, amateur stuff, but be aware of that. But. It would, it would seem to me that there's a certain kind of manic depression uh, and a certain kind of uh, OCD or obsessive-compulsive disorder that's floating around. And this is not to say that he's not responsible, right? But I'm just trying to sort of get a, a picture of, of this kind of stuff because grandiosity and these kinds of mood swings go hand in hand, and that's why uh, I asked about them. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I think his relationship to me was he, he wanted me to be something that he could brag about. Like one of his favorite activities that he would tell me, oh, how, how we did this and how he would impress uh, his, his business friends um, with it, which, which seems kind of weird. He doesn't really have any friends. So, I mean, the idea that he would care about how, how they thought of him is a little strange. But I mean, I, I guess that's who he was. Like, like for example, um, well, I mean, this sort of stuff actually started in in my infancy. Uh, I, I was I was born. Um, this sort of stuff, and I just want to make sure I understand which sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm going I'm, I'm getting into it. Uh, so, like he'd have me do, um, like when I when I was an infant, I, I was. Uh, born a little sickly not not super premature but i mean it, it wasn't great and um he, his, his, the way he shared his impression of me and he thought this was a funny story you know he'd laugh um he'd he said that when he saw me he thought i was a blue chicken and that's what he said you know oh my god my son is a blue chicken and he would laugh when telling the story um and uh my mother was in the hospital. Uh, she had some sort of bad hemorrhage. And the way he put it is she almost died. And he rescued her by alerting the doctors that his wife was bleeding to death or whatever. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure I understand the polarity here. Can, is, is, it, yeah. is it fairly safe to assume, and tell me if I'm correct or not, is it fairly safe to, to assume that your father was fairly brutal in his... Uh, insults towards other people, but was himself hypersensitive to insult. Um. Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He. That was his way of uh, dealing with people, I guess. Um. 
well, not exactly dealing. Okay. That's his way of bullying. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Um, so, so anyway, what, what was an infant? Let, I, I, I get out of the hospital spending like a week in an incubator or whatever. Um, and so one of the first things he does is he takes me swimming uh, with him in like a lap pool. You know, the way he, he tells us, told the story is uh, he would take me swimming and I would just sort of cling to him or, or hang onto the kickboard uh, for dear life. And uh, he, he would always tell the story as a joke, you know, as if it was funny. And he would smile and, well, uh, he'd, he'd take me out and he'd say, and, and he described me as blue and shivering and he was afraid that I would die. And so he rubbed me in a towel, convinced that I was, I was dying or dead. Um, and, you know, he didn't do, just do this once, but many times, you know, it's, it's like, in, even if it's apocryphal or exaggerated, you know, a tall tale, it's still pretty screwed up. Um, but he would you know, do stuff might, like that with me. You know, from, still moving around. Are you moving it at all? Oh, yeah, I'm just, I just scratched my head. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he liked doing that sort of, sort of thing with me. Like when, when I was, uh, probably around five on, he would take me running, uh, for very long, uh, stretches, like eight, seven or eight miles, uh, up and down hills. I'd get, I mean, to drink, I, I would get, uh, one, uh, 12 ounce bottle of Gatorade in the middle of the, uh, thing, you know the I guess the workout like like every Saturday we do this is the, this this was when we were living in Zurich. Uh, Sorry, just by the by, I mean this this just reminds me um, of I mean there's some similarities but some significant differences between our fathers. But when I was 16, I lived in Africa with my father for a while, and he took me. He was a geologist, so he walked for a living, and uh, mm-hmm. he took me on a hike through mountains, and it was the same thing. Like he was, he would power because he just what he that's what he did was he hiked uh, as a geologist, yeah. and I wasn't uh, as fit then as he was, and uh, I was just dragging my ass after you know we would climb like two thousand or three thousand feet up these parts uh, in a day, yeah. just dying. And of course, it was Africa, so it was like twelve million degrees, and I was coming over from Canada, which wasn't, and um, right. it was just uh, and and he did the same thing. He actually gave me a pebble to suck on and said, well, if you're thirsty, this will produce saliva. And it's just like, what the, you freak. And he would literally be like two or 300 yards ahead of me because I would be getting tired and getting and slowing down, right? He'd just power on ahead of me. Uh, right, I mean, right. That's, that's and, something my dad would do to, yeah, to you know, get me to know that. And you'd feel this, this real disapproval uh, or embarrassment about your sort of lack of physical fitness or whatever relative to his, you know, amazing vanity body or yeah. whatever. Anyway, I just wanted yeah. to mention that sort of reminded something of, uh, of okay. my own. Please go on. Well, well, like every Saturday uh, from when I was five on, I guess, later, I guess uh, pr- probably after, after my fifth birthday, is uh, we, we'd, uh, we'd run, run up about 200, like we'd, we'd go down, down a hill about uh, three quarters of a mile uh, to a uh, big, big stair because, I mean, they're, they're all, because, you know, the area is kind of hilly. It's like a valley and then there's a lake. Um, so we go up about 200 stairs. Sometimes he'd make me run it up. Sometimes he'd let me walk it if it was raining and slippery. Cause I mean, he was afraid of slipping, I guess. 
then we'd uh, run a, up a, a dirt road, uh, kind of twisting around to get to the Hollenbad, the, the public uh, uh, gym kind of thing. And then I guess we, we'd take karate lessons. And uh, then he'd have, then he'd swim, and he'd have me swim with him. And um, we did this kind of weird thing where he would fight me underwater, like you do karate with me underwater. Um, and did that? He would uh, race me sorry, too swimming. Did that, uh, did that activity um, of karate underwater? Did it? Did it hurt? Like, did he? Uh, no, not really. Okay, so, but I mean, but I, I don't know. I mean, because because uh, I I kind of made it a, a sort of a focus to to get used to pain because this was sort of uh, I mean I I kind of had to. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, and I I mean I I think I get a picture. I mean certainly I have no doubt. Yeah. That I have a sure. Forest. And, and then after that there'd be more running, right? Sure. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, this is uh, all st staggeringly abusive. I mean, of that, there's no question, yeah. particularly starting at the age of five. So what is it that you got out of this interaction with your father when you sort of look back on, on how it settled down within you? What, was it, what is it that you got out of it in terms of your understanding of the nature uh, and morals of your father? Uh, I, th I think it was framed to me as that, uh, I don't know, you, that th this is what makes you a superior person. Uh, sorry, but I understand. I mean, I understand that your dad was all about, you know, aim high and, you know, never give in and work hard. And like he was manic. Right. So uh, so he's going to put this these ridiculous standards. But of course, he didn't have these same standards for himself as a father. Right. So he's like, well, the important thing is that you run five miles and that's called perfection. The important thing is not that I be a gentle, kind and loving father. That has nothing to do with perfection. Right. Yeah, well, it's like, I find it a little funny. I mean, like, gentleness and kindness in my dad. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just funny. Well, but it's not, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not, it's not, it's... it's Like, sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, and I know it's a little startling, and I know you have a laughter defense, which obviously I, I understand and sympathize with, but it's not funny at all. I mean, this is horrible, right? This is an absolutely nightmarish and horrible existence. I mean, this is like a fucking Russian gulag, right? Yeah, and I, 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 I find Solzhenitsyn very, very. I, I like the gulag archipelago. <laughs> well, yes, but it's horrible that that you identify with that, right? I mean, it's. it's yes. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I picked up on it very quickly. Like. <laughs> Um, uh, sorry, and, and I just want to go back for a second because, um, and there's no correct or incorrect, it's just things that I'm noticing, but I had, sure. I had asked you what was your experience of this and what did you get out of it? Um, oh, hang on. Wait, 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 horror, wait. I guess, uh, like, like when, I get, on, like when I get home. Hang on, hang on, I wasn't finished, it's okay. Yeah, okay. I had said, what is your experience uh, of this? And you said, you replied, it was portrayed. In the, in the moment right now? Yeah, just now, right? Uh, and this is, I'm just pointing something out here, right? Because, because we're trying to get a handle on the grandiosity side. Yeah, I feel separated. Okay, just hang on one sec. Give me 30 seconds. Okay. Let me ask. Sure. So uh, I had said, what did you get out of this? Or what was your understanding of the nature and ethics of your father? And you said, it was portrayed to me as, right? Okay. And do, do, do you know why I stopped on that? Yeah, because those are, I guess, the, we, those are weasel words. 
No, it's not that they're weasel words. I, I believe you that it genuinely was portrayed to you as this, but I said, what is your experience? And you said it was portrayed to me as, which is actually somebody else's propaganda, right? Yeah. So when I asked you what your experience, and this is not, not a right or wrong, certainly no criticism, I'm just pointing out, right? Because we're looking for clues as to how to unravel the grandiosity. Okay, I was very proud of it for a long time. Right, okay. So it was portrayed to so your, would, and where would you say you are with your experience of this? Uh, like um, uh, in terms of comparison to any kind of remotely decent or non-abusive parenting uh, relative to the childhood that you really wish you could have had filled with, you know, fun and laughter and intimacy and, and all that kind of stuff uh, and love, of which there was nothing. This is sadism, right? This is just a sadistic. Yeah, I, I find that completely unimaginable. Well, it's not completely unimaginable to you, I guarantee you that, because if it were, you would feel no pain, right? Yeah, I guess. Well, no, I mean, that's an important point, right? Because if it, if it were completely unimaginable to you, then you would have no standard, right? Right. So um, the fact that, that you have certain after effects from this nightmarish existence uh, is because you, you do know that it is, a, in your gut, you do know that it is a savage deviation and um, a nightmarish evil compared to any kind of reasonable or decent or loving parenting, which is not to say perfect parenting, but, I mean, this is off the charts, right? Yeah. So, And, you know, I, I guess my mother ta said stuff about it, but saying things, uh, uh, what does it matter when, when she was aiding and abetting the whole process? Well, as you, you were listening to the call-in show yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah, and I just felt so angry <laughs> at, at my mother again, just because I, I think, I don't, I don't know, I, I think I hate her more than even my dad, because she knew that it was wrong. Well, and she gave your dad children, right? She, she found him. Yeah, she, not, him. Not, 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 just, not just one child, uh, but uh, she tried to have children immediately after me and miscarried twice, and then she had my sister years right. later. Right, and then when she had enough, she left, right? Yeah. But you had to still stick she around, left. lunatic, right? That's right, that's right. And, you know, she, she hugged my sister uh, when, she, when, she, when she told us that she was getting divorced, and she started, you know, squ you know, squirting out a little tear, and I just hated her. I hated her, I hated her. Right, right. No, I mean, I understand that. Um, now, could your father, when he was in these phases... Uh, I'm guessing that, at least for significant portions of his life, he could actually control his behavior, right? Sure, of course. If it was so, like, take your son to work day, you know, he was the most wonderful guy, you know, and at like a, like a, di at like a dinner meeting or something, you know, I'd, I'd be there and he'd be, he'd be polite and stuff, you know, so it wasn't like... And the reason for that, uh, I mean, you know why I asked that, which is basically that if your father had a biochemical disorder then there would be trauma that you would need to deal with. Like if he became a biologically based schizophrenic, literally heard yeah. voices, literally became psychotic, you know, was carted off uh, and had to be medicated with Thorazine or whatever. Like if he, if he had a legitimate biochemical brain disorder, then you would still be traumatized, but there would not be the same sadistic intent, of course, right? Yeah. But since he can control his behavior, and he also knows how to portray a good father, right? Yeah. So, so he's completely responsible for what he did. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that, that's just an important thing to, to differentiate, right? 
He knew sure. what a good dad was, and he could control his behavior and imitate, in a sense, a good dad, right? So he was in control of his behavior. Now, this is not to say maybe there was some biochemical basis to the manic depression, but he was able to control his behavior and to portray a good father in certain situations, right? Yeah. He thought he was doing much better than his father had done. Right, but... Um, uh, when, when it came to, for instance, like, so he, he worked uh, in the um, securities industry. When he wanted yeah. to work in the securities industry, no doubt, he knew that there was certain knowledge that you had to attain, that you had to gain. And so he would go and take the securities course, he would go and study, and, and so on, right? Yes, he has two law degrees. Two law degrees. Okay, so he knows that if you, um, if you want to become good at something, um, and you start from a position of no knowledge that you have to go through a, a study process, right? Yes. And he admitted that his own father was not uh, good, right? He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say that, no. But he'd say that, I mean, he was, he, he attributed it to a leg problem that he, and his, in his, in his work as a doctor, that he was too busy treating patients uh, to spend too much time to him. And also he had a, he, he, dr he got drunk too often. Okay, but he would say that he himself, your father, did not have a great template about how to be a great father, right? No, uh, you know, his parents beat him, beat the hell out of him. Okay, so I'm just trying to give you the, um, uh, the, the, the differentiations here, right, so that you can see, I hope, see your father a little more clearly. So he knows okay. that when he's in a state where he needs knowledge to achieve some end, to become uh, to work in the securities industry or to get uh, to to become accredited as a lawyer to pass the bar, that he when he starts from a state of no knowledge and which is to achieve a gain a, uh, a um, an end a goal that he goes through a process of studying right now he sure. also knows that he was not in a position of having great knowledge with regards to being a great father right yeah so by his own logic in terms of if you wish to achieve a goal, you should do some studying if you lack the knowledge beforehand. He clearly should have done some studying about what it means to be a great father, right? Because he, he became a father, and he certainly had time to prepare for that, right? He meets your mom, they date, they get engaged, they get married, they have kids. He's got years to prepare, right? Not, not just a few years. I mean, they, they met when they were 19, and my mother had me when she was 36. Okay, so they had like 27 years. Oh, sorry, 17 years to, to deal with this, right? Yes. Okay. So your father had 17 years to prepare for fatherhood, and he certainly knew because he was not a homeless guy. He actually had gone through a process of study to get his law degrees and his securities um, certification and so on, right? And do you yes. know if he ever pursued any knowledge about becoming a, uh, a better parent? He might have read one book about it. So the effective answer is no, right? No, yeah, of course not. Right? I mean, that's like me saying, well, I read... I read, a, you know, I read uh, economics in one lesson. Brochure. Right? Okay, so that's just something to understand, that in, in the areas in his life where he wished to achieve goals, he did the studying and the work and the, uh, the requisite necessary stuff in order to achieve those goals. But when it came to being a parent, uh, he actively avoided knowledge, right? Yes, of course. And he, he, he would always say that uh, being a father was the most important thing in his life, that it was his highest value. I'm sorry, that is, that, that is funny, but it's really tragic, right? Because yeah. relative to the effort that he put into his career, into his education, and so on, uh, it was nothing, right? Yes. 
And my mother the same way. She put more effort into PBS than she put into me. Right, right, right. And do you have a theory as to why they had children? Uh, he wanted them badly, I guess, to abuse. But mom didn't. I think she wanted to have children to deflect abuse from her. So you guys were like the biological punching bags, so to speak, right? Like, I'm angry and I can't get mad at people at work, so I'm going to come home and force march my kid up 500 flights of stairs. Yeah, because Golden would fire him if he, if he, if he did what he if, if, if he treated his employees like he treated me and how he treated my mother. All right. So, okay, now we can start to work towards how this virus passed along. Now, you, yeah. you had used the word grandiosity, and what is your working definition, whether it's instinctual or emotional or linguistic is fine, what is your working definition of the term grandiosity? Uh, just thinking that you're somehow innately superior to everybody around you. Okay, and what if you are? Is it, it's, is it, I mean, let's say you're Einstein, right? And you say... Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's something that's, that's uh, you know... Got me into like false humility, stuff like that. And, and you know, I was thinking a lot about this last night is that, you know, may, may, maybe, maybe I, I, I'm, not, I'm not that fantastic and I'm just particularly good at uh, avoiding suppression, just being defiant. I'm sorry, I didn't follow that last part at all. Could you try again? Uh, just the, 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 way, the way school works is, you know, they, they, they beat you down, they grind you into a paste. Uh, and I was just good at avoiding it. Good at avoiding being ground down into a paste? Yeah. Oh, no, but what does school have to do with it? I mean, your father was the one who ground you down into a paste, wasn't he? Yeah. Because you went to school, right? But, but, yes. But you're... And, I mean... Right? uh, Getting bad marks, I mean, I would be dead. You know, getting an A- minus was horrible. It was like the, the house would explode. Well, sure, because you were no longer serving the narcissistic vanity of your father, right? He yeah. Would, his, his ego, which was dependent upon manipulating and controlling others' opinions, would, be, um, would take a blow if he felt that somebody thought that you were somehow inferior, which would then make him feel somewhat inferior, which would provoke the narcissistic rage, right? Yeah, but I mean, the, the, this 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 kind of pisses me off. I mean, if 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 he if he was always saying that you know as I, I I was I was fantastic and all this, you know, why did why did they put me through uh, school? I mean, I, I they 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 skipped me ahead a grade when I was younger. Why didn't they? Why didn't he press to keep me skipped ahead? Why didn't he take me out of the entire system? I don't understand why uh, they they had to subject me to this nonsense uh, for so long. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Uh, if, wait. So, so I, think, I think here we're getting to the core of the issue, right? Yeah. So um, if, you, if you have, and I understand this emotionally, right, but we have to sort of look at this philosophically. I mean, to me, that's always the reason okay. out of the room. So you're saying, well, sure. I don't, if this was the case, if they felt that I was uh, superior or this or that, then why didn't they provide, uh, you know, better services to me in terms of moving me ahead in school or this or that or the other, right? Yeah. And, and you feel outraged or frustrated about that? Yeah. And uh, uh, do you genuinely believe that you don't understand why that was occurring? No, I, I think I know why. Why? Because it was frightening to them. What was? It was frightening to them. But sorry, what was? Um, 
I, I, I think intelligence was frightening to them. Well, but your intelligence wouldn't necessarily have anything to do with whether you were ahead in school. Unless I'm missing. Yeah, you're right. Okay, uh, let's walk through this. Can you repeat the question? Sure. Um, well, um, I was repeat. I was sort of. Uh, you said I, I. You got frustrated, which I totally understand. And and you said I don't know why they didn't you know move me ahead more in school if education was such a value and I was so smart and this and that and the other, right? Yeah. And that would have been of benefit to you. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, how would that have benefited them? Not at all. So I'm not sure. I, I mean, well, I, I don't know. It might have benefited them, but I'm I'm not really sure. It doesn't. I don't really understand them very well. Well, I think you do, but I, but they don't want you to, right? So, um, as yeah. you know, I start from the premise that everybody's a genius and everybody's a philosopher, and certainly yeah. that's true with regards to our own families, right? Yes. So uh, I'll step you through a little bit here, and we'll see if we can bang some fruit off the tree, <laughs> so to speak. Okay. Okay, so let's just put some tentative labels on your parents, which is not to say that this is the sum total of their entire being or anything like that, but there are some things that we can definitely start with as some bedrock, right? So narcissistic and sadistic, because sadistic is narcissistic, right? But... Um, that you only existed as a way of providing your parents a sense of power, right? Yeah. So they have no interest in you as an individual. You can't abuse a child. You can't laugh at him and call him a blue chicken. You can't take him when he's five for running five miles, which is completely lunatic, right? I mean, that's like you and I having to run 25 miles. It's crazy. No, not, not five miles, more like eight, nine. Okay, that really doesn't matter. So, I mean, like, add, right? yeah, and on top of a bunch of other stuff. So, I mean, it was, like, crazy. Okay, now, you, you don't need to get behind and pushing the cart. I'm, I'm just starting here, right? So, yeah. don't worry. I, I'm I sorry. Okay. So, so you, you can't have empathy for a child that you're treating in that kind of manner, right? You can't have empathy for somebody that you're terrifying by being five times their size and throwing shit around a room, right? Well, he's six foot five, too, so... Again, you're behind pushing the cart. Just, I got it, right? Just, just trust me on this, that I got that it's a nightmare, right. right? You don't have to put more nightmare in. I get that it's 100% nightmare. In fact, 150% nightmare. I have no problem with that, okay? So, given that your parents uh, are sadistic and narcissistic, if you really got that in your core, there would be no reason to be frustrated at the mystery of why they didn't do something for your benefit. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be painful, but it wouldn't be confusing. Okay. I mean, that's sort of like saying, why isn't my torturer giving me a massage? I mean, right. you, that would be a crazy question, right? I'm not saying you're crazy, mm -hmm. honestly, right? But that would be a question that wouldn't make much sense, right? Yeah. So what's happening is that when we have sadistic and narcissistic parents, we want to see the truth about them because that will set us free of relating. Yes, I, I, I felt that very strongly. They don't want us to see the truth, right? No. And that's why, as I talk about in my book on truth, that's why they use principles and, and, and perfection and quality and cleanliness and 
and uh, excellence and all this other kind of crap. Uh, I, you know, I just have high standards, you know, so sue me, right? Yeah. So, um, and that, that's why they go to um, material or public kinds of uh, show, right? I have two law degrees. I make uh, $20,000 a day and crap like that, right? But yeah. you didn't want a dad who made $20,000 a day. You wanted a dad who'd give you a hug and talk to you like a reasonable human being, right? Well, he would very rarely if he maybe had three glasses of wine in him. Sometimes he could be pleasant if there was somebody from outside the house at the table or something. Well, but that's not the definition of pleasant, right? That's the definition of... No, it's not. And it also is, is part of the sadism, right? So when, when sadistic parents are nice to you, it's part of the sadism. Because it says, I can be nice, I'm just not going to be nice. Which is humiliating, right? Right. Because if they genuinely had no capacity to be nice, we would just, as adults, learn to recalibrate our standards, right? And say, well, you know, I can't play catch with a, one with a, a guy who's got no arms, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the niceness is part, of the, um, is part of the sadism. Especially when they're nice to strangers, because then they're humiliating us even more. Because they're saying, well, I'm going to scare the shit out of you and brutalize you. But then when this Jehovah's Witness comes to the door, I'm going to laugh and, and, and have jokes, right? Right. So this Jehovah's Witness or whoever, uh, this guy selling door-to-door, -door, uh, some cashier, uh, some waitress, they're infinitely more important to me and get much, much better treatment from me than you do, right? Which makes you feel like uh, an atom, right? Right. So accepting, and, and sorry, and this stuff, um, again, with all the caveats about me being an amateur, right? But um, this stuff is what psychologists call character logic. It's, it's, it is the personality. It's not a defense anymore, uh, as I write about in my novel, right? The defense is um, sometimes, and, and actually depressingly often, will overwhelm the, the, um, uh, the very personality they originally attempted. Like, when you face a threat, you get defenses, and the defenses are there to right. the original personality, but they will overwhelm the original personality and replace it, right? It's like a coup, mm -hmm. so to speak, like a military coup. And yeah. when that happens, there's no return. And, and particularly if your father did not go through uh, any kind of phase of empathetic development, uh, and this is, very, this, is, this is a brain development. This occurs early on in childhood, um, uh, really early on in infancy, but particularly mid-infancy to toddlerhood, where you get eye contact, where you get mirroring, where you, know, you smile and your mother smiles back, where you roll a ball and someone rolls it back and you interact and you are treated with empathy and you learn to really recognize the existence of other human beings in a fundamental emotional way. That is a, a process of brain development. That is a period of brain development. And if it is missed, if you go through significant trauma during that time, uh, you just don't have the capacity anymore. You yeah, can mimic it there was, periods of time. Th there, there was no empathy in his household at all, period. Right. So, um, and he, you can mimic that for a short period of time, as you can see, right? But, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and if you're willing to do the work, then you can actually um, learn to, to go through some of those difficulties, go through some of that trauma, and learn to regrow some aspects of yourself. But it's kind of like there's a language phase, right? And if you around two to three years old, if you miss that language phase, you never learn language very well. You can learn it to some degree, but it's just a part of the brain development. So if your right. father missed that and took no steps to, to deal with that later on in life, then there's going to be no part of him that empathizes. In fact, empathy is going to enrage him, right? Because it's going to bring back all the early trauma. 
Oh, yeah, that makes him so angry. <laughs> yeah, because he's going to perceive it as pitying, he's going to perceive it as putting him down, and he's going to try and level up by blowing up in rage, right? Right. That's, that's like the worst kind of weakness to him. Right, because that's what he so desperately needed and didn't get, and it exposes his vulnerability. And any time he was vulnerable with his parents, he would get attacked. So vulnerability equals attack. He preemptively strikes by attacking first. I mean, this is all very dense and complex stuff, but the reality is that is his personality, certainly by now. After you've abused children, there's no coming back for you as a human being. There's no coming back. I, I don't mean like you, you, you get mad and you yell at your kid and then you apologize, right? Or maybe you spank your kid once and then you go, well, you know, that really is not a good way to do it. I'm going to find other ways. I'm not talking about being perfect. But if you systematically and sadistically torture a child, there's no restitution that is possible. And where restitution is impossible, forgiveness or uh, an amelioration of the problem is, is, is impossible. Now... The grandiosity was, you say, this feeling that you are superior to everyone else. What is the definition of that superiority? I mean, we understand that for your dad, it was accomplishment uh, and money, right? Education, accomplishment, money, uh, all the outward show of superiority. And what is it for you? Um, I, I guess for me, it was academic achievement. And when I was younger... Well, actually, no, not, not really even when I was younger, but I guess physical and, and sexual achievement, too. Okay, so getting good grades and um, being a man. Yeah, not, not, not just getting good grades, but just being... Uh, I, I wanted to be uh, crushingly more intelligent than everybody else around me. Okay, and what, what do you mean by crushingly? That's an interesting way of... Uh, just, just overpoweringly, uh, just no more than, 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 they, than they do in every single conceivable category. Just be uh, so much... Uh, or just to cultivate that appearance, even. Okay, uh, but uh, uh, for the purpose of what? Like, what would that do for you? Um, it would ward off attack. Well, it wouldn't ward off attack because it is an attack, right? Because you, you didn't want to be intelligent or learn things in order to generate a love of knowledge in other people, right? You, you wanted no, to absolutely not. Yeah, um, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I wanted to do it uh, so that other people would feel small. Okay, and what did that ward off? So if you were unable to achieve that, what, what feelings arose in you? Um, just... just uh kind of nasty anger. Okay, uh, and, uh, and um, so and, and if you were unable, like if you came across somebody who had five PhDs from Harvard or whatever, and they started lecturing... Um, then, then I, well, I'd charm them, I think. I think I'd, I'd, avo I'd avoid getting into it. Yeah, I, I'd avoid getting... Stuff with them, is that right? Yeah, I would. Um, yeah, we like smart with, people. With, uh, yeah, with with my ex with my ex's father, you know, he's 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 a top top uh, law professor uh, at NYU. Like we 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 could talk for hours. You know, I, I managed to get him to go from "I'm going to kill you" to uh, you know hugging me and loving me and thinking I'm the you know the 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 brightest person in Brooklyn. You know. Okay, so you feel that this is a kind of uh, power, and I'm not saying that this is all what you feel or believe, but you believe this is a kind of power, yeah. right? 
Now, do you realize yeah. it's the exact opposite of power deep down? I mean, I don't, don't know if you've explored that aspect in yourself. Let me ask you a simple question, if that's not clear. Who's sure. more free, the prison guard or the prisoner? Excuse me? Uh, just, I, I, one of the words is garbled. Sure. Who is more free, the prison guard or the prisoner? The prisoner. How so? Because the prison guard has to... I don't know. It, it seems like his behavior is more restricted. Well, I don't think that his behavior... And look, I mean, this is why I say everybody's a genius. You this, got this, 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 is, this is just my uh, first, uh, you know, no, listen, pop. You, I mean, you, you perfectly got the right answer, and I bet you you know exactly why. This is that blink thing, you know, where you process a huge amount amazingly quickly, and you are obviously a very intelligent and very uh, verbally skilled person. So you got the answer right away. Then it's tough sometimes to sift through how we got there, right? Yeah. Okay, well, you're absolutely right that the prisoner is more free than the prison guard. And I can either step you through the answer, but I don't want this call to go on too long because we have lives to lead, but I'll just give you the answer as I see it. I'm not saying this is the answer. Okay. The reason that the prisoner is more free than the prison guard is that the prisoner does not have to lie to himself. Because if you're thrown in prison unjustly, you can at least sit in the moral truth of your situation. You don't have to propagandize or mythologize your, your situation, right? But yes. if you are a prison guard, you actually and actively have to believe that the prisoner is evil and you are virtuous and you are standing tall for justice and these guys are animals and scum and this and that and the other, right? So the prisoner right, at least can be free in his own mind. But the prison guard has to enter this distorted funhouse kaleidoscope mirror of justification and moral falsehood, right? Yeah. So he's not even free in his own mind. And, of course, he's standing around guarding the prisoner all the time. But the prisoner at least can remain free in his own mind, right? Correct. So the reason that I was bringing this story up is because you said that you wanted to, to dominate other people and so on, right, by by crushing them with your brilliance, right? Yeah. But they're more free, e even if that works, even if they bow down before you or whatever and worship your godlike intelligence, they're still much more free than you because you have to pretend that you are superior when you're actually dependent upon other people's approval and obsequience, right? That's not being free. Yes. So you have no, to remind yourself that you're superior and that you're free and that you're one of these Nietzschean Hyperborean gods when in fact you're enslaved to the good opinions of others, right? Yeah. And, 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 if, and if those opinions evaporate, it's just I die, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and the worst thing is, the worst thing is that you're not even enslaved to the good opinions of good people. Because I am. I mean, I, I you know, my, I love my wife to death. And, and if she ever thinks that I'm doing something wrong, I'm crushed. Right? And, and we examine it. We explore it. She's always right. So, that's good, right? There's nothing wrong yeah. with dependent upon the good opinions of good people because they can watch your back. But the yeah, not, not good people, but unspeakably evil people. Well, I, I think unspeakably evil is another grandiose term, because <laughs> I'm not saying yeah, okay. that's you, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of yeah. in my mind. But what okay. you have to be is around weak people who've also been traumatized in their childhoods, right? Yeah. Right, because a, a good and decent person who, who has any kind of caring about you would call you on your grandiosity. Why? Because it's not going to make you happy, right? And, and a good person who cares about you would be interested in your continued happiness, right? And would not want you to be uh, enslaved to the positive opinions 
of uh, weak and dependent people, right? Because that makes you kind of a little dictator and, and, and it means that you can't be intimate, you can't be vulnerable, you can't be open, you can't be wise, and you can't experience the greatest joy in the world. And the greatest joy in the world is using your intelligence to light up other people's brains, not to put them down, right? Right. So somebody who really cares about you, wants you to be happy, would say the path that you're taking, while it might give you immediate relief from anxiety and, and trauma and history and so on, is, is keeping you barred, is, is a, an iron insurmountable wall between you and the greatest joys in life, vulnerability, openness, honesty, uh, wisdom, and, and the joy of using your obvious gifts to light the world, to inspire knowledge and the desire for truth in others, not to use it as a kind of vanity tool for propping yourself up in a false self kind of way, but to use that energy and that intelligence and those linguistic skills and to judge your success not by whether other people view you as smarter, but by whether other people view themselves as smarter after interacting with you. That's the real crack, so to speak, in life. And people always ask me, how is it that you can stay so positive in what it is that you do? And that's because I know when they ask that question, they have not tasted the truly cosmic joy of lighting up somebody else's mind, of getting them to realize just how brilliant they are and just how wise they are deep down. That is a, that is unbelievably joyful experience. And, I mean, to be frank, that's what I want for you. You have these incredible gifts. You obviously come from a very intelligent family, uh, tragically flawed and dependent upon others and tragically uh, dictatorial and brutal and weak, right? Because the flip side of grandiosity is insecurity. That vanity and insecurity are the, the superstructures built on each other around a void of a, a true self in the middle. But what I want for you is the joy that comes from using your gifts to light other people's minds up, to get other people excited about the truth. Because that's a self-generating and self-sustaining process that actually heals and, and brightens up the world, Right? You uh, walking around or your dad walking around uh, dominating weak people with your supposed brilliance does not light up the world, right? And that, that keeps a fundamental joy out of your life, away from you, that is, oh man, if I could give you five seconds of that joy, if I could wire that into people's brains, the joy of lighting up other people's minds and getting them excited about wisdom and truth and philosophy and knowledge and virtue, the sort of paltry satisfaction and immediate anxiety avoidance that comes from dominating other people would be completely unappealing. It would be gross compared to that joy, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And there's a surrender to... I mean, ego is not about dominance, in my opinion. It's just my nonsense opinion, so <laughs> take it for what it's worth, right? But... But, but ego is about surrendering to, to the truth, right? Aligning yourself with the truth, being a vessel for the truth. Uh, this all sounds ridiculous and quasi-mystical, but there it is, right? That um, you want to be a doctor not to make other people stupid about medicine, but to make them excited and interested and able to achieve their own health, right? You want to be a nutritionist so that other people become healthy in terms of their eating choices. You don't want to be a nutritionist so you can say, well, I eat really well and you people eat like crap, but never tell them how to eat better, right? Right. 
you want to be a nutritionist who shows uh, the effects of healthy eating and who also gets other people excited about eating better and more healthy and so on. And this is, this, all of this, all of that joy is nothing compared to the joy of lighting people up about truth and virtue and philosophy. And, and if you align yourself towards that goal, right, and if you say, I am going to use my gifts in the service of a brilliant species that is tragically crushed by history and institutions, and the family, the church, the state, I am going to align my gifts to the service of freeing humanity, of lighting up the minds of humanity, of expanding the horizons of humanity, there's nothing that is going to make you happier and there's nothing that's going to bring more love and joy into your life than that. And I want that for you and you certainly have the gifts to be able to achieve it. I think everybody does, but you in particular are closer because of your intelligence uh, that's innate and language skills and so on and you're closer to tapping into that. Again, I think everybody's a genius and everyone's a philosopher. But I think that what you want, you have, to have, you have to have a carrot on the other side of dealing with grandiosity, right? Because it's going to be painful and it's going to be destabilizing. What is the carrot on the other side? The carrot on the other side is the joy of lighting up people, the joy of bringing wisdom and joy to people's lives, and, and the love that that generates in the world towards you, right? It's, it's, it's love in your personal relationships. It's a, it's a wonderful and happy marriage. It's being a noble and just and beautiful father whose children are going to worship you in the right way and for healthy reasons. And it's going to be the satisfaction at the end of the day that comes from turning on 50 lights or five lights or one light in the world, right? Not leaving a trail of people who feel smaller after you have passed through their lives, who feel diminished, right? Who feel weaker, who feel less, who feel like... Because that's a little bit like turning into your dad, which you don't want to do, right? No. I mean, deep down, that would be the last thing that you'd want to do is make people feel like you did when your dad was around, right? Right. That's it for my speechifying. I just wanted to... Because why would you deal, want to deal with this? I'm just saying that on the other side is a love and a joyful existence. And I'm not saying you don't experience joy now and so on, but this is beyond uh, what you can uh, think of before you, you taste it. And I know because I lived on the other side for a long time and now I live on this side and Oh, man, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. This was lovely. Well, I'm, I'm glad that it was helpful. Um, I, I know I didn't give you anything particularly practical to work on, but I think the first thing to do is to figure out what the goal is. Why would you want to climb over this barbed wire? And I hope that I've given you some sense to the beauty that's on the other side. How, how are you feeling now uh, at the end of this conversation? I'm feeling a bit clearer. Good. Okay, well, I will guess I'll try and quit while I'm ahead. Um, and, and if you want to do a follow-up, you can mull on this for a bit. If you want to do a follow-up, I'm more than happy. But I can give you some more practical ways to achieve it. But uh, I just wanted to give you a sense of the purpose rather than the... Like, if you, if you, gave, if you give a man a why, says Nietzsche, he can bear almost any how, right? And, and the problem is with, with challenging these demons within us, that sometimes we really don't have a sense of the why, and w with, when the why fades, so does the how and the means and the goal and the desire and the steps and so on. So if you keep that um, glory uh, in your sights, then you can get there, uh, and you will. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, listen, again, all, all the sympathy in the world, this was a truly nightmarish existence that you grew up in. Um, Obviously, you know what I would say with regards to your family. I'm not sure exactly what your circumstances are. 
with them, but uh, these are not people that I would have in my life. But uh, No, I've, I've broken with them, yeah. Okay, okay, good. Well, now uh, you can start to build uh, a, uh, a new world out of the crater, and uh, uh, I hope that you will. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, keep me posted about how it goes. Okay, have a nice day.